as we head toward Easter, we're taking time to slowly think together about Calvary and what Christ did on the cross. And more importantly for this season, why he did what he did on the cross. Had the creator of all the universe been held to a piece of wood by a piece of metal, we could not depend on him to handle our lives, our problems. We couldn't trust in him with our eternity. But he was not held to a piece of wood by a piece of metal, was he? What held him on that cross, we learned last week, was his love. We often refer to Christ on the cross and that whole experience as the passion of Christ. I told you last week as well that that comes from a Latin word that, that means suffering. So we, we refer to the passion we're talking about Christ's suffering. But over these next few weeks, I want us to think about that word in, in a different way as well, the way we use it more often, and that is a, a strong feeling of love. The passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. But it also reminds us that what held him on that cross was his passion for mankind. He was compelled by his love for us. And so as we go through this series headed toward Easter, we're learning a memory verse together. I want us to look at that again. We're going to read it uh, together. Those of you who want to work on it at home and learn it on your own, it'll help you to know that uh, the version that we're using is, is the new international version. But let's look together again at 1 John chapter 4 at verse 10. Read this with me. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Before you and I could love before you and I could understand, he loved us so much that he sent his own son. It's, it's not found in the fact that we love him as much as that he loved us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he stayed on that cross because of love. This morning, we're also going to discover that he stayed on that cross because of humility. They're not really different because those who are humble are able to love. I would even say that only those who are humble are able to truly love. And so it's not there. They're not contradictory concepts. We're just going to develop that idea of love a little bit this morning and see that he, was, he stayed on that cross because of humility. You already heard Misty read from 
Philippians chapter 2. I want to invite you to look there with me again. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 5. I want to just read a, a few of those verses that you've already heard, and we're going to focus in on them a little more clearly. I think many of us respond to God in kind of the way that we respond to everything else in the world around us, and that is, I already have my calendar set. I've got my priorities. I have my to-do list. Now, somebody wants me to add something. Well, I will see if I can fit you in. And when and where I can fit you in, I'll do what I can do. As long as what you need fits my agenda. I often think that's how we respond to God. God, thank you for loving me. I believe in you. And I want to fit you into wherever you can fit in my agenda. Because I think many of us respond to him in that way, I want us to, to keep, that, keep that in our minds as we wrestle with seeing Christ as he was, as he is. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Notice the difference in how he responds and how we often do. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we review who Christ is, how he responded, we see first of all that we want to learn to think in humility. This is how Jesus responds. This is what held Jesus on the cross. This is what defines who he is in our, in our understanding of him. It said in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, you who belong to Christ need to start thinking like he does. Have the mind of Christ. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, does it? That doesn't happen when we walk the aisle. It doesn't happen when we get dunked. Over time, in discipleship, we learn more and more how to think like Jesus. And so the verse says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think in this way. And for us to do that, we're going to have to be willing to change our minds. George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. It starts here. We have to learn to 
think in humility just like Jesus did. You see, it continues in verse 6. Have this mind among you that's the mind of Christ. Think like he did. Now give us that example, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word, a thing to be grasped, that means to hold on tightly and not let go. In other words, Jesus, shall we say Christ, God the Son, is equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to get into a whole doctrine of the Trinity this morning. But in this verse already, we learn they are of one. They are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. However, God the Son did not see holding on to glory and the throne as something that he should grasp and hang on to. Although he deserves it. Although it was his to claim. God the Son showed, God, showed humility and stepped back from that glory, leaving that glory to God the Father. God the Son steps out of glory and into humanity. Imagine the humility that it must take to leave the royal, holy courtroom full of heavenly beings constantly singing your praises. Imagine being the one who created all that exists. And instead of looking over on your creation, you decide to become part of the creation. You and I can't fully imagine that, can we? Jesus, the Son of God, did not count equality with the Father something to be held on to. But in his humility, he took off the robes of glory and he took on the rags of a poor baby boy. Stepping out and away from the throne and into a feeding trough for animals. The Son of God demonstrated humility in coming to the world. Later in Philippians chapter 4, Paul helps us understand how we can begin to think like Christ. How do we change our minds to begin thinking like he does, to be that kind of, of, of humble thinker? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
How can we have the mind of Christ? How can we begin to think in humility? Well, it begins when we focus our thinking on these things. There are some people who I know, and you know them too, and we can, we can verify that they do not yet understand humility simply because all they can do is complain and gripe and moan and find fault. I can't find any of that stuff in the list. Gripe, complain, moan, groan, find fault, accuse. You see, that's what a, that's what a person who has pride, that's where our minds go. There's always a problem. That's where our minds go when pride is controlling self. But when we begin to think like Christ and we begin to be humble in our thinking, the world takes on a whole different view. And so how do we get there? We train our thinking. We intentionally decide, today I'm going to find what's true. I'm going to find what's honorable. I'm going to think about what is just and what is pure and what is lovely. I'm going to focus on those things that are commendable. And if there's any excellence, I'm not going to look for the mistakes and the mundane. I'm going to look for the excellent. That's what I'm going to look at. If there's anything worthy of praise, I'm going to think on those things. I'm going to choose to do that so that I can train my brain to become more like the mind of Christ. I'm going to begin to think in humility. And the only way that's going to happen is when I change on the inside. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. How do we begin to change? How do we begin to become more like Christ? It starts here. Many of us get it backwards. We think it starts with our emotions. If I feel something, that must make it real. But Paul says it starts in your mind. Stop being conformed to the world. To, to be conformed is when there's pressure on the outside that is forming me. It's the picture of a potter. He puts a bunch of clay down and then he starts conforming it to the the image that he wants it to be, pressure from without the world pressures me to become who they want me to be. be don't be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed. That's, that's a power from within that works out. To be transformed starts inside. And I can be transformed. I can change. How? Not by the, not by the renewal of my feelings. Not by emotion. But where it begins is in my head. If I'm going to be more like Christ, it starts when I start thinking like Christ. I think in humility. And so instead of being conformed to the world, I want to be transformed. How? By renewing my mind. By thinking like he thinks. About the things he thinks. You see, the patterns of the world are never going to give you the mindset of Christ. You can only find that when you start thinking like he does. When you allow your mind 
to focus on the things of God. And the best way to do that is to fill your mind with the things of God. So many times people say, well, I'm not growing, I'm not learning, I'm not getting anywhere spiritually. And I say, when's the last time you really dug in and studied the word? Well, I came to church Sunday. You just answered your own question. You're not renewing your mind. You're not filling your mind with the things of God. Therefore, you can't start thinking like Christ. You got to put it in if you're going to get it out, right? So we begin to think in humility because Jesus did. Notice also that Jesus was held to the cross because of his humility. We want to do that. We want to begin thinking in humility and we want to learn to act in humility. If we continue in our text, we see in, in uh, verse 6 that he was thinking humbly. But then look in verse 7. Because he was thinking humbly in verse 6, in verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Not only did he think in humility, he acted in humility. He took on the form of man. I love what this says, says in verse 7, he emptied himself. Now understand, that does not mean that he gave up his holy nature, that he gave up his God head, his, his position as God. What it means is that he emptied himself of glory. He stepped away from the throne. He emptied himself of the right and the privilege to be honored and glorified and praised around the clock year round. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He is Lord. He is Lord of lords. The word Lord means master. It means the one in power, the one in control, and the one who is in power and control over all other lords. The Lord of lords has taken the role of a servant. beginning in that feeding trough in that barn in Bethlehem and leading to the, the streets of, of Galilee and the surrounding area as he served and healed and fed all the way to that night when he was down on his knees washing dirt from between the toes of people who were going to reject him. That's some powerful humility. We want to be like him. We, we first begin to think in humility, and then we must act in humility as he did. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, we jump to the Old Testament here. Listen, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? What does God want me to do? Preacher, that's all I want to know. Give me my checklist so I can get back to my business. What does the Lord want me to do? He has told you. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? 
do what's right. Love, being kind and celebrating kindness in others. And then walk humbly. Act in humility with your God. Humility is fundamentally about others. I was so glad when we were talking over here a minute ago, I was so glad that, that James asked me what, was, what is humble. Because I wanted to tell you. Humble is, quite simply, I decide that you're more important than I am. Your needs outweigh my needs right now. Out of love, I'm going to care more about you than I do about me. You know the most unhappy people I've ever met? The most unhappy people I've ever met are the ones who always think of self. You know why you get your feelings hurt all the time? Because you're thinking about your feelings. You're paying attention to how someone treats you. That's why you get your feelings hurt. What if you were always thinking about the other person instead of self? You wouldn't notice half the stuff that upsets you now. The happiest people I know rarely think of how they're being treated. The happiest people I know rarely think of self. They have learned to act in humility and put the other before themselves. We begin to be like Christ when we treat others the way Christ treats others. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking in 5, 6, and 7. But if you have your copy of Scripture open, jump backwards a little bit to verse 3. Still chapter 2, but we're in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You've heard it said before, it's, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. You know what I mean when I use the, when I use the, the initials SOP? I think that started in the military and, and, and law enforcement. Now it's, it, it went pretty quickly throughout the business world. SOP, does that ring a bell for anybody? You know what that is? What is it? Thank you. Standard operating procedure. What is the human SOP. Yes, it's a P. I'm saying it very carefully. What is the human <laughs> SOP, standard operating procedure? You know what it is? Self-preservation. The minute you are born, it begins naturally, and then it multiplies the minute you become self-aware. From that point on, your standard operating procedure is protect me and mine. Get what's best for me and mine. Jesus comes and he 
radically changes our perspective on the world and on life. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he doubles down later on and says, now love your neighbor as I have loved you. And what kind of love is that? A very selfless love. We begin when we think in humility as he did. We act in humility as he did. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks to the church and he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, church, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience Bearing with one another in love. Walk, that means live. Live in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility. What held Jesus on the cross was his love. It was also his humility. Because of his example, we want to think in humility, act in humility, and we want to obey in humility. Let me tell you one of the aha moments that I had as I was growing in discipleship and really kind of preparing for ministry. I was fortunate enough to be born into a Christian home. I went to, I went to the, the local Baptist church uh, from nursery all the way through. Rarely ever missed. We were there all the time. I had wonderful Christian mentors, teachers, disciples all the way through. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loved me. And I knew without the shadow of a doubt that Jesus died on the cross because of his love. One day, as I was studying and thinking I had an aha moment that nobody, I don't think anybody had ever had help, ever helped me see before and it changed how I view the crucifixion and that is this. That Jesus not only died on that cross out of love for us, he also died on that cross as an act of obedience. Because God the Father had a plan. How do I know that it was obedience? Because I go to the garden. You remember the garden before the cross? Jesus goes to the garden to pray and he tells his disciples, y'all hang out here and pray for me. I'm going to go a little bit deeper and he goes a little bit deeper and he falls on his knees and he cries out to God, don't make me do this. Don't ever mistake the easy depictions that we have today of Jesus on the cross. We clean it up for our own sakes. Don't ever depict the clean, easy picture of Christ on the cross as, as, in a way that would make you think that that's what he wanted. The Bible says he sweat as if drops of blood in tremendous turmoil over that. Don't make me do this 
But you remember what he said next? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, I will obey you at all costs. Jesus died on that cross because he loves you. He also died on that cross because he was being obedient to the Father. This was the plan. The Bible says this was the plan before the foundation of the world. The plan was that the Lamb would be slain. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 coincides with what we're studying on Wednesday nights through the book of Genesis. As by the one man disobedience, many were made sinners. Who is that? That's Adam, right? One man disobeyed and that messed it up for everybody. It messed it up for all of us. One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But then look, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There is Jesus obeying the Father, changing eternity for all of us who would believe. And so John says in 1 John chapter 3, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. John says, look, we have confidence that when we go to the Father, we can ask and receive. Why? Because we obey. Because we keep his commandments. And that's not talking about the Big Ten. That's talking about a life of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll obey me. Beloved, in order for us to become like the one we serve, we have to see why he died on the cross. He died on that cross in humility. Therefore, we want to begin to think in humility like he did, act in humility like he did, and obey in humility like he did.